It'll be the Jays and the Cincinnati Reds tonight at the Rogers Center. Yes, Joey Votto is, we're led to believe, expected to return um, for the Reds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, prepping at uh, in Dayton uh, mm-hmm. on a rehab assignment and said via a Zoom call on Wednesday that uh, nothing comes to mind that would keep me from playing there Friday. I feel well. Nice. I've been competing well. I played seven innings yesterday. I'm ready to play. He's been on the COVID injured list since May 3rd. I have heard, too, that he is having a sit-down with Hazel May, which would be kind of cool. There you go. It will be. And uh, Joey is... Uh, Joey's interviews are a trip. Pay attention. They are a trip. They <laughs> are a trip. Pay attention. Come prepared. <laughs> Don't ask a <laughs> dumbass question. Trust me. Been there. Done it. Don't lob a softball at him. Uh, and you'll get... Uh, you get, you get a ton of good stuff. But come prepared because Joey doesn't like his time being wasted. Does not like his uh, time being wasted. Um, all kidding. I mean, all kidding aside, it'll be, it'll be a terrific interview. And uh, it's kind of cool seeing Joey Votto. Uh, Joey Votto back here with the Cincinnati it Reds. Cool. Um, and then, of course, at some point, you know, the could you ever see yourself finishing your career in Toronto? And how would that? be a fit here and all of that comes into play. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, I've, I've kind of thought, I mean, I never really got the impression Joey Votto was pining to play in Toronto. Um, I always got the impression he was really comfortable in Cincinnati. And, and frankly, I can see that if you're a ball player, uh, you know, Cincinnati was, used to be one of the best places to play in. Sure was. The team is, I played there. The team golf. is scuffling right now, but um, it is a, it, it's a pretty, it, it should be the, it should be one of the best markets in baseball, and when the team is winning, it is one of the best markets in baseball. It, but you know, I, I kind of I've come around like it, looking at how much money if Joey Votto can be the Joey Votto of a couple of years Ooh. ago. I, I, I if I'm a contending team, I question. The I might take a shot and sticking what, him in the what, number what, two spot. And depends on what, like he couldn't he spot. couldn't be. I mean, he couldn't. You know, he can't play first base here because because of Vladdy. He's hitting a buck twenty. Like yeah, I, 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 with 90 at bats. I, I, I but don't I know. said, I said a couple of years ago, you would look at him yeah. and go, yeah, on a contending team, I'll take that bat in my lineup. I know he's, I know he's, he's, he's changed his bats. I do. I have heard him have those conversations. I, you know, I know he's trying to, a different mindset of, of he's trying to hit some, a few more homers. Uh, you know, he's trying to hit it over the shift. Might not be the best year to do that. Shift. Though. I, I, I don't know. Again, that that's a that's an interesting question on if you're Ross Atkins if he came back and he got somewhat hot for a small period of time. First of all, where would you play him? Second DH. of all, do you think do you think he'd be okay DH in there uh, most of the time, if not all the time? W- would you think he'd be okay not hitting against lefties, not facing lefties? There'd be there'd be a lot of conversations you'd have because he'd have to agree to all those things. You'd have to ask a lot of questions before yeah. how much how much money the Reds would eat of that, what you'd have to give up for him. Like there'd be a lot of things go into it. He wouldn't hit second for me. I mean, I hate to say it that way because I play with Joey. I'm a big fan of Joe. He ain't hit second for me. <laughs> he ain't ta- he ain't taking it a bat away from Bo. Not this point in his career. Three or four years ago, maybe. Yeah. Not this year. Uh, Chris Welsh is a Reds TV analyst. He's a former major league pitcher, and we're very pleased that he joins us on Blair and Barker. Chris, thanks for doing this. It's been a while since we talked. I, I, I've, I've got to think it 
was sometime after Montreal. But um, anyhow, wel- welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, very simple question for you to get this conversation started. The the Reds, you know, we know the start they got out. Do we know all the stuff about ownership? Uh, but lately, it appears as if things have, could I say, stabilized a little bit. And I'll just ask you. What are the Cincinnati Reds right now? Well, they had a historically terrible start, and they looked bad at the beginning of the year. They shed a bunch of payroll. They got rid of some veteran players. They tried to fill them in with 4A players. And then we started the season, the Reds did, with the Atlanta Braves, who won the World Series, and then immediately went on the West Coast to play the Dodgers and the Padres. Reds have never done well on the West Coast. And then you go through Colorado, which is kind of a crapshoot anyway. So, all of a sudden you look up and you're like three and 20 hmm. and you're like, what happened? Hmm. And uh, basically that's it. I think David Bell, the manager is just trying to keep everybody going in the right direction, you know, keep positive attitude because you know how baseball is. I mean, if you play, you play so many games that you always kind of trend back to the mean and they're hoping that they're doing that right now. Chris, is there, we, we talk about Luis Castillo always getting traded. I mean, he's been traded like 35 different times from the, from the Reds. I, but I do understand what the Reds are going through and where they are trying to be. I, I think I do. What they're trying to be mm-hmm. as an organization. But you would think the first guy that maybe would get a lot of attention if he's healthy, and this would be sort of a big start for him. He can come to, to the Rogers Center and, you know, go six or seven scores. be a nice little, you know, thing for the, for the front office to try and trade him. Will he be traded? Will he be a, a Red at the end of the season, you think? Uh, he, I don't think he's going to be a Red at the end of the season. He's just too big of a bargaining chip. The Reds, the situation they're in right now is that they need players. They, they need young players because they're basically rebuilding, even though the ownership didn't want to call it that over the wintertime. And Castillo is your biggest trade chip, you know, who is a veteran anyway that you would trade. You may also trade Tyler Malley, uh, who was their opening day starter this year. So those are the guys that are probably on the block. The better Castillo pitches, the higher the price, and it would be a good thing. And, and uh, you know, here's the, the situation for the Reds is they've got a bunch of really good pitchers at the very top end of their minor league system. But the position players are down in double-A and an A-ball, so they're like a year or two behind the pitching. So they need to fill in with some everyday players who are good prospects, and Castillo's a way to get that. Uh, Chris, Hunter Green's pitching the second game. Uh, who is? What is he? Like, is he just a hard thrower, or is he developing into a pitcher, too? He's Doc, he's Doc Gooden, uh, reincarnated. Uh, really? this, this kid's unbelievable. Wow. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't say that lightly either, because I've seen – I've been doing this for the Reds for 30 years, and then mm-hmm. I, I saw, you know, it, it, when I played for almost a decade, it, the same thing there. I saw a lot of really good pitchers with great stuff. This kid's more than just a hard thrower. He's got a beautiful delivery. He's been coached great his whole life. But I think the biggest asset for him is the fact that he, he's willing to put in the work. I mean, his parents raised him. Uh, he was raised like Tiger Woods was raised. Uh, he's got an appreciation of everything that's been given to him. Uh, he had spent a lot of time over in Compton at the, uh, the, the Major League Baseball RBI program over there where – they get kids from very bad neighborhoods, and they're trying to teach them the game of baseball. He was basically driven in from a really nice neighborhood in L.A. into this area so that he could interact with all these kids who didn't have anything. So he gets it. And that and the fact that he's an imposing figure on the mound. He's about 6'4". Uh, he's got a beautiful delivery, and the ball comes out of his hand like a rocket. And uh, what's happened is that he's found out that 100 miles an hour ain't what it used to be mm-hmm. because he got turned around in the very first game he pitched. Matt Olson hit one 
off the wall at 101. And then he threw another one to Olsen the next time up at 101. He hit, he hit it into the upper deck. So he's gone to his slider. He's about 50% breaking pitch. And uh, he's had a really good outing, obviously, his last time out, seven innings plus of no-hit baseball. So he's the real deal. He really is. It's just a matter of when he puts it all together for good. Yeah, I mean, that night got me excited about Saturday because I was lucky enough to cover Doc Gooden when I when I was covering he, he, baseball, he, and I loved why I, I told people that one of the best I, I've told people one of the the sort of real experiences that has always stuck with me was watching Doc Gooden pitch a bullpen in spring in spring training. Just happened to be at the right place at the right time and just watched it, and it was it was like watching an artist. I mean, it it, it really was. It was just beautiful. Everything about it was beautiful. Yeah. It's the same thing. I, I get excited about it. I mean, it's for me. It's can't miss TV. It really is. Chris, is there is there a little feel of when, you know, I, I hear you talking about him and how good he is and how good he can be, and then I start thinking where the Reds are at. And and you know, if I'm a young guy and I'm pitching like that and I'm great, and say I pitch six scoreless with no hit ball and they lose. Is, is that going to be demoralizing for him? Is he, you know, mentally capable of going, let's not worry about what's going on with the team and the organization. I can just worry about what I'm doing. You think he's good enough there, or do the Reds need to actually put a team around him to see his fullest? Well, it, it's always easier to pitch when you're winning, right? Yeah, because yeah. You, you know, you get a lead, you get good defense, you know, you have guys behind you who know what they're doing. But I think – the, the other thing that separates Hunter Green from the average guy that throws 100 is his maturity, and he gets this. I mean, he understands where the Reds are, and he understands, I think, that he's going to be, you know, the main cog in, in, a, in a rebuilding process. It's going to take several years, but, you know, the, 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 the quiet word around the Reds is the Reds are going to be good when Hunter Green wins the Cy Young Award. Wow. Yeah, that's that, – that's... That puts a, that's a, that, that puts a lot of pressure on a dude. Yeah, no I was going to say that yeah. no pressure on him. But it does, but he's he, you know he's got the shoulders to cover carry it. I, I really believe that. I mean, I don't want to overhype the kid because yeah. he might get out and get knocked around, knocked out in the second inning. But I mean, I see it in there. This is in all my years of doing baseball, he is you know right up there with the most special of all pitchers I've seen. Uh, obviously, with the Reds coming into Toronto, and you know we are anticipating that uh, Joey Votto will be here. Joey Votto, at least, has talked about that. I mean, Chris, I'm, I'm sure you get asked this all the time by visiting broadcasters and and and, and writers. But I mean, what's what does the future look like for Joey Votto right now? Well, Joey's what thirty eight, and uh, the last I looked, Father Time is undefeated. <laughs> and I think Joey's beginning to see that. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of older players. In fact, I one time played in a senior professional league. Where I, had, I had George Foster and Jim Rice in my outfield, right? And they could still hit, but they couldn't do anything else. Um, but, you know, Votto can still hit. But, you know, while I think he's, he's tra- trying to transform himself into more of a power hitter. And so his stance is completely different than what it was. He's not going to the left field like he used to. He's not taking anywhere near as many marginal pitches. And I got to tell you, you know, as an objective observer of Votto, and I love the guy and, I, and I've watched him his whole career. He, he gets a strike zone and he knows this. He's admitted this. He gets a strike zone. That's better than almost any other hitter in the league hmm. because the umpires just give him the benefit of the doubt, whatever. And that really helps a guy. Um, but he's trying to hit home runs at a time when home runs are harder to get than ever before, because, right. you know, you've got the nastier pitches than ever before. And you've got the so-called dead baseball this year. 
And uh, it, it's been tough for him. It really has been tough for him. I, I know you've been paying attention to the Blue Jays. They, they are very right-handed on the offensive side of the ball. Is there anybody – I know where the Reds are at, and they would trade – it sounds like basically anybody that's, you know, another team wants. Is there anybody left-handed on the offensive side that you would think that could come and help a contending team? Well, you know, the guys that we have, we've got a bunch of left-handers, but I'm not so sure that they're going to help a contending team unless, you know, you're looking at the names like Mike Moustakis. Um, you know, he's a guy that the Reds have another year on a contract with that they'd love to move, but they haven't been able to find a suitor for that. Uh, they signed Colin Moran for a one-year deal. I don't think he's going to help a contender. Uh, I, I think the quick answer to that is no. I mean, the Reds are playing with a sub, you know, sub-average major league lineup right now, and they're trying to get it done, but they just don't have the pieces yet to contend. And I'm not so sure they've got position players that could help a team like the Chase. Chris, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much, man. Thank you so much. Oh. Always great talking to you guys. Hope to see you over at the ballpark. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Take care. That is Chris Welsh, Reds TV analyst, former Major League pitcher. And uh, the Reds, we talk about this, but the Reds have always, 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 always done a real good job with the like with their broadcasts and their pre and post game shows. They've always it's, it's the greatest. They've they've always really devoted a lot of resources and a lot of time. I've lived it. I, it's I, interesting to hear him talk about Hunter Green and he <laughs> can handle the failure. I, I can throw this around to whenever I was with the Brewers and I was first coming up, and I was a pretty up there when it comes to prospects, offensive side of the ball, doing things like that, and I got off to a slow start. And I don't, the Brewers weren't expected to go anywhere. Like, our team wasn't any good. Mm-hmm. But but they needed somebody to blame for it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked Chris about the, the Hunter Green thing is – it's one th- I understand how good he is, but he's going to have some ups and downs. Like, he's just going to have four or five starts to where it's just not working. The, the command's not there. He's falling behind. When he gets in the stretch, just things aren't working. The ball out of the glove, the breaking ball, it's just not going. It's flat. He's going to get hit a couple times around. How's the organization going to handle that? Because now your team stinks. Let's be honest. I hate to say it that way because they have won eight out of 12. But they, their organization's not in a good spot. You got to blame it on the kid. Because it was blamed on me when I was coming up with the Brewers. And the Brewers stunk. I'm going to tell you like it is. They stunk. And I was a part of that. And I got off to a slower start. And then they needed somebody to blame. That's where I'm thinking. And that's why I asked that question, if he can handle that. And it's yeah, that'll, be, you, that'll be an intriguing thing to look at on how they handle when he goes through ups and downs. And they're losing. Say they lose seven, eight, nine blamed? in a row. Just by, I'm not doubting you. I'm not doubting. Yeah, I'm just, just, by just wondering. Not performing. Like not doing doing my job. I was I'm a I'm a top prospect. That's the top prospect for the for the Brewers. And I was hitting 220. 220 meant something then. But it mean anything. I'd be hitting cleanup now if I was hitting 220. <laughs> yeah. It's different then because my heart my hard hip percentage is way up. You know, well, I'm yeah. getting any hits, but I'm hitting the ball. Or, yeah, that didn't matter when I played. It was about 220 and how many home runs you weren't hitting and how many right. runs you weren't driving in. And I wasn't doing those things. And they needed somebody to blame, and it was me. That's my point. It didn't, they didn't give me a longer leash because of where the team was at to just go fail, figure it out. Like, here it is. We ain't going nowhere anyway, but they needed somebody. Yeah. Will the Reds do that with Hunter Green? I know, I, I know that team is not any good, and they started I mean, my, off 3-22, and 22, my hope, they're starting to win some games. You know, my, my hope is that the, the, there's the, the stuff going on in the background in Cincinnati with, with the ownership and with – I think that'll probably work on Hunter Green's behalf because it really does seem as if ownership 
has set itself up as a scapegoat here. The, the owner came out and basically said an opening day, hey, if you don't like us, don't come. Where, where else are you going to go to watch a baseball game? Yeah, which is not... It's awful. It's an awful, awful thing to say. It's a great organization. Like at least, at, 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 least at least, at, at least make it seem like you're sorry that you had to do this. And, and I keep saying, I look, I don't know all the ins and outs of the Reds, but I look back at that team two or three years ago, I don't think they had to do this. I, I, I just don't. I, I don't think they had to tear that team down. I mean, look at the players they've moved on from. There's core of a pretty decent team. So that's from a distance. But I think that works in Hunter Green's benefit here because ownership is under is, is so disliked that it is a bit of a security blanket for Hunter Green if he wants to use it. Now, he, as Chris said, That's he may be that guy that doesn't need a security maybe. blanket. Maybe. I hope so. You know, he may be the guy that... I hope he is. It's not a good situation. I've been in that situation. And he's a kid. I've been in it. I, you know, you go back and look at the stuff that was that, that was written about him in spring training. He's a kid, Major League Baseball. They want him to succeed because Major League Baseball has a really difficult time marketing in the, with the younger demographic. It's got a really difficult time in a lot of visible minority communities in the United States. And they got a guy like Hunter Green who can be, who, who can really, he can really he, he can be that guy that the kid who doesn't really follow baseball but is a basketball fan kind of likes because he knows about him. Like, yeah, he, he could be that cross. three with a slider. He could be that crossover guy, yeah. right? Because sure. you're going to watch him. I mean, even if you're not a basketball fan, you'll watch LeBron because LeBron, or, I mean, LeBron's the first name that comes to mind. But you would watch LeBron because he's LeBron. Well, you're on, LeBron's on TV. You're going to pay attention to it. It's going to get your attention. And I think Hunter Green could be that guy as well for uh, I hope so for, for baseball. The fan base there deserves him. They do. That, that's a great fan base. I played there. When I played there, I played there with Joey. We, they weren't a real good team. I think we finished in third place when I was there. We weren't a good team. We were a decent team. They're like but St. Louis, though. It's a big oh, deal. It's great. Like, the fan base is great. They have the, they have a lot of fun. They take pride in their team. They can't wear, wait to wear their colors. And then their owner comes out and says what he says. Basically, like, we don't want you to show up. Yeah. Forget you. Like, that's a that's a tough that's tough words to say to a fan base like that. And I, I hope that Hunter Green doesn't struggle and doesn't have to go through those ups and downs to where he would get blamed for something. Because he said... The only when they're going to be good is when he wins to Cy Young. No pressure, but you got to win to Cy Young. You know, be good. but I think what Chris was saying is that it, we talked about that a bit with the Blue Jays, right? How Vladdy's ETA was kind of the organization's ETA, and you know, when Vladdy was ready to roll, that's when the organization was ready to roll. Same thing with, you know, same thing with Bo. I do think that, you know, and I've written about this on Sportsnet.ca. They're really it's all about managing windows of opportunity, even leagues where you don't have a salary cap because guys can get a lot of money very quickly if they're really good. And you've got to, man, you got to hope that there's three years where everybody's together. You know, at that point, some guy's going to leave as a free agent. Some guy's going to sign a multi-year contract. Some guy may get hurt. You may have to trade some guy, but you want to have that window of opportunity. I think that's what Chris was saying is Hunter Green, will be part of that window of opportunity uh, when it when it arrives. But, you know, the Reds, I was thinking about this as when Chris was talking, and I don't know 
when your first year would have been with the Reds, but there used to be a thing where the Reds played the first game of every regular season. They'd have a parade through the streets of Cincinnati around 11, and the first game of the year would always be a day game mm-hmm. involving the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, they were they were an important franchise for baseball. They yeah. were one of the, you know, the Red Legs. They were one of the grand old franchises of the game, and it is, it is... It's just kind of hard Sad. to see where they are now. It's almost like ownership doesn't care about them. That's that's what's worse about that. Even if you don't care, don't say it out loud. Yeah. Like just don't don't. Okay, we know we got all kinds of money, and you're probably doing this just for fun. But don't come out and say it. Like I just and the other thing I'll a say hard, that's a hard take. Think about the timing of it. You've just come out of a CBA. You've got expanded playoffs. Now, yes, I understand. Not even with expanded playoffs, not there there's still going to be some bad teams. But man, don't don't kill whatever hope, whatever little hope there was. Like why why would you why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just say, "Hey, you know what? We are rebuilding. We but man, look at the young guys we've got. Look at Hunter Green. Look at Hunter Green and you know, maybe it comes together for us and and still have Joey? Yeah, I don't I uh It's a terrible look. Terrible look, and I, I've lived it. It's it's that's it, a cool it, play. It's a cool place to play. You mentioned it the pisses. Pre- it, frankly, it pisses me off more than Pittsburgh and Oakland. Oakland's just a mess because of the You're because used to of Pittsburgh the Pittsburgh looking like this. They're and, always like this. And, and Pittsburgh, that's a different ownership thing. It is in Pittsburgh. It's different completely. But yeah, Cincinnati is the they they I can remember my dad talking about the big red machine that. and Griffey and just you know all, all the. Things that, that that when you say the Cincinnati Reds, the names that roll off your tongue, it's it's a hard it's a hard take. Like it's yeah. and you mentioned the, the expanded playoffs. The National League is not tremendously awfully great. Like you could make a, a decent run at that. Like the Cardinals are are you know that far ahead at you. Uh, the Brewers, you. the Brewers are good because they, they pitch. Pitching. Yeah, they pitch. Yeah, but you know it's going to be a battle. But well, you like you. I'll ask you this: You look at that division. Is there any team in that division? Where you say, you know what? Maybe the Pirates are the only team. Three years down the road, these guys have no chance because the division's so strong. Oh, I mean, you know, Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee's going to get the point where they're going to have to start paying those pitchers. I say the Cubs are going to get better soon too. That that will be the one team. I, I think the Cubs. Let's see what they do at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Like if they can trade Marcus or if they can, mm-hmm. if they can add a few pieces. I just there's also an ownership thing going on with the with the Cubs that I I just don't know. I I don't know if if I see that thing working out. I see the I see the Cardinals, the Cardinals being on the verge of being really really good. Like they're they're kind of playing some things now. They got to go through the Pujols thing. They got to go through the Yadier Molina thing. You're kind of obligated to deal with some of these older players in a certain way, and that's fine. You can do it in that market because they're beloved players. And Yadier Molina is not going to kill you. I mean, it, his last game. In the majors, he'll still be he'll still be a hell of a catcher. The Cardinals, I think, are the team that is just like that far away from going on one of those four or five year runs where you're going every year. Cardinals are going to finish first, but that doesn't mean that there's nobody else in that division or where I. If I'm the Cincinnati Reds, I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking, you know what? The young pitching we have, if we can just get some guys in here to hold the fort until some of those young position players come up, 
we can take a run at. Yeah, and, and to get free agents to, to Cincinnati now after your owner came out and said what he oh, said. Oh, God, yeah. He said, we don't care about the, the fans. Well, if you don't care about the fans, you're going to care about me. Now, obviously, a player's going to go to the highest bidder, but, yeah, it'll, but it'll still be a tough sale when if I have an opportunity to go somewhere else and I don't have to go listen to that guy talk. Yeah, it's like any, go somewhere it's, else. It's like anything else. You want to remove as many impediments as sure. possible as you can to getting a guy. And, you know, one of the worst questions you want to hear a free agent ask is, is ownership committed? You know, that, that's, well, I mean, look at this city. For the longest time, that's why one of the reasons free agents wouldn't come here. Now you look at the way ownership has spent money in the Blue Jays. Hell yeah, they're committed. They signed George Springer. They gave George Springer more money they in an more, extra year to they come have here. They have Boris clients. That's all you need to think. That's all you they need to say. They have Scott Boris clients. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Which never happened. No, that's true. They've got Scott Boris clients, and it's not just Scott Boris using them to ratchet up the prices. <laughs> They've got Scott Boris clients because they just don't. Can you help us? It's a lot of money, and you're represented by Scott Boris, but you can help us. Okay, let's get a deal done. Simple. Santiago Espinal leads the Toronto Blue Jays in war. That is wins above replacement among uh, position players. It's probably no surprise to any of you who've watched the Blue Jays this year. He has been, without question, the best story of the year for the Blue Jays. Santiago Espinal joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll do Barker's back leg fix in a few minutes. You still have time to send in your DMs. Seven oh seven is the first pitch tonight, as Luis Castillo takes the mound against Hyunjin Ryu for the Toronto Blue Jays at the Rogers Center. I think it's a like it's big country music. Of course it weekend is. Weekend too, right? Of course it yeah, is. Tons of Canadian country music folks there. Hmm. So there you go. That's why you're going to go down. You're going to go down to hear just be, you some country just music. Just be myself. You're going to go down because you want to hear I'll change country the thing. music. Yeah. Mm. I'm just saying. Hunter Green against Alec Manoa <clears throat> tomorrow. Uh, we, we talked about that's going to be a terrific pitching matchup. And um, Alec Manoa. Today's going to be good, too. We've got to start talking. Well, it's, it's May. We're going to start talking about Alec Manoa going to the All-Star game pretty soon, I think. Yeah, it's three, there's got to start talking about it. There's three on this team. Him, Gossman, Santi, and Santi. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, obviously, a lot depends on the. Uh, well, first of all, it is May, hmm. but a lot depends on how the positions break down and everything like that. But um, yeah, for sure, Manoa and and uh, and Gossman are both. Uh, I mean. I don't know if I'd say they're locks. I think Manoa might be actually even more of a lock than than Gossman in some ways. I think I did. I think some people when they think of the Blue Jays, they don't think of Vladdy and Bo. They think of Alec Manoa. I think they still think of Vladdy and Bo. I think some people don't. But I um, think Alec Manoa has made that big of 
a I mean, I, impression. I'm sure if you on Jays fans and baseball fans that they think a lot of him. Yeah, perhaps. So, but if, I mean, if you talk to people around the game, and you said Toronto Blue Jays, ninety percent would think Vladdy. Maybe the some would think Vladdy cool. and Bo. They think of both of them kind of interchangeably. I'm with you, but there's some. Um, you know, if you watch the Blue Jays this year, you're probably you're probably thinking of of, uh, of Manoa and Gossman because they have been right from the get go. They have been terrific. Manoa's a good talker. I like that too. I, I like that he's well rounded in everything that it takes to be a superstar at the big league level. And I, I think that's a big deal. I think selling, oh, I think it is. selling I think yourself it is too. and your team, <clears throat> when your team is supposed to go where the Blue Jays are going, it's not the easiest thing to do. He embraces that. You can tell that. Like, he's not shy away from any reporter. Nope. He's going to walk right up to them, and they can ask any question they want to ask, and he will give them the honest answer that he has to that exact question. And that takes guts, and he's got a bunch of it, and I like that about him. Yeah, there's a lot of things he does. You know, when he was talking about the baseballs and everything like that, there's a way of doing stuff like that without making it sound like you're making excuses. And Well, there's a way of doing and, it and, without getting fined. There, there's an art There's an art <laughs> yeah. to it. Yeah. And he's, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think, and I know that we've talked about all the, you know, the shots in the dugout, the dugout hijinks and all that. And and sometimes I think we kind of read too much into, you know, in, into things. But, like, I'm not certain that every conversation in the dugout is necessarily about hitting all the time. Absolutely know? not. But at the same time, when you watch Alec Manoa and, and just <clears throat> when you watch him, games he isn't pitching, you watch him where he is in the dugout, who he's with, watch him in games he is pitching, the involvement he has in what is going on. Like there's some pitchers and that's just that this isn't a criticism of them, but there are some pitchers who superstitious they're, they're in a shell when they pitch Roy Halliday, the great Roy Halliday. No one wanted to talk to Roy Halliday in the day he pitched Mm -mm. or sometimes the day before he pitched, Mm -hmm. you know, Sean Markham got a lot of grief when Roy Halliday left and Sean Markham said, Sometimes it was like we were walking on eggshells. And a lot of Blue Jays fans didn't like that. Anybody who was around the team or who covered the team knew exactly what Sean was saying. Sure. And Sean wasn't saying it to be curly. He was just saying it's true. Roy Halladay had a certain way about him. And that's okay. But there's also the flip side of that. And, and the flip side is the guy who really does want to be involved with what's going on. Pedro Martinez was like that. Pedro Martinez did not want to put himself on an island on the day he pitched. I mean, I've told the story about Pedro Martinez talking to a bunch of writers in the days pitching in the World Series because we're just standing outside the dugout. He pokes his head out with a cup of coffee and just starts talking. And, you know, it wasn't like nobody was sitting there interviewing him, but the whole thing, oh, you don't go near the pitcher on the day he pitches. Guys are wired differently. Some guys, it's just another day at work. But I really like everything I see about Manoa. And I'll I'll be honest, when he first came up, I thought, okay, this guy's got a big personality. Nothing wrong with that. But we've talked about guys come up with big personalities. The staring thing was the first thing I noticed. Sometimes 
sometimes the majors has a way of not giving you the freedom to do the stuff. Like I, I, I've, I've thought Marcus Stroman, uh, major. Would uh, look. I don't think Major League Baseball. This is just me, in my opinion. I don't think Major League Baseball knew how to react to Marcus Stroman. I just don't think. I, I don't. I don't think they did. And, but Alec Manoa, when he came up, I'm th- I'm thinking, okay, this guy again, big personality. He talked about the staring, all that. And it was almost as if, yeah, I'm sure somebody said something to him. But the more you hear and read about Alec Manoa, you get the impression that probably what happened is at some point Alec just processed stuff and said, I don't know if that's really, really carrying. Now we've carrying still, it we've here. seen him do it against the Rays. We still see. Oh yeah, him but that was kind of, and that was Randy Rosarena. But that was kind of, that was almost kind of funny because Rosarena stared out at him after that pitch came inside yeah, him, and Manoa stared I'm sure back if you at asked him. Those two guys wasn't funny. Like those two guys were serious. It's, it's the American League East. Like there has to be a little lad bully on the but block. Yeah, thing. But my point is that's that's okay. It is. It that's, is. He's made an adjustment. He's fine. not always going to do it, but occasionally, you gotta you gotta say that I'm still out here. Don't forget me. Like yeah. this is my mound. That's my plate. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that All back right. and forth where I maybe I just don't like you. I'm gonna let you know it. Like there, there's, there's got to be a little lad. You got to be comfortable with who you are, and you got to be good. Yeah. Like some dude that ain't no good can't be staring at me. What you staring at? You look up at the scoreboard. Your ERA's 15. Who you staring at? And then there's guys that can stare at you and their ERA's in the threes. Uh, you can stare at people like that and they can punch you out and they can do it with one pitch. So it's, I just, everything about him, the way he talks, the way he acts, you know, that teammate thing, I think a lot of the times it's overblown. I really do. Like I've been around a ton of teammates. I think it's about performance first and then the way you carry yourself when you're struggling. That makes you a good teammate. All that other stuff, I'm, I think I really do. I think it's overblown. But a lot of teams and a lot of players don't. They buy into that stuff. You know, who am I? I grew. I, went, I came up in a different era. I thought it was about performance. And that part about when you're struggling, you find out who you are. Lord Escariel Jr. is going through a little that. Like, you're going you're gonna to find out what kind, of, what kind of player and teammate he is because he is seven for his last 52. Man, he's looking down at the bottom of the cliff. He can see it. Uh, he's already. Been, I, I mean, the only thing I would say about that is he's already been there. He's seven for fifty-two. Like no, no, I, he, I've been, I've been in big slumps too before. There's all, he, no he, matter how many times you've been through it. Don't forget, he got he got pulled off the field and sent to AAA because of defensive errors when he was at second base. Expectations are still a little different now this year, and there's there's a lot of pressure on these guys to not go seven for fifty-two. And when you are, I, I'm just saying, I'm not saying he's not going to come out of this. I'm just saying you. You figure out what kind of guy that guy is when he's seven for 52. And I'm sure he's just as good a teammate now as he's rooting for all of his buddies and his buddies are rooting for him. And Yeah, I, I think I've always thought that it's, it's a little different with the pitcher because you are – and Pat Henkin used to talk about this. You, you have to be aware of the fact that you work once every five days and everybody else around you works every day. And they might, you may have had a good start in your last start. Two days down the road, you got to be a good teammate to a guy who might be 0 for 8 or 0 for 12 or whatever. Or uh, There's, 
and I know you've been around a lot of pitchers and I've covered there. Pitchers are different. And to find a guy who really is really comfortable kind of in that mix on days he is and isn't pitching, I think is, is something. I think young guys have to learn, have to learn how to do that. And, and I think you can't, that's teach. just the thing. I without. think a lot of that you can't teach. And he doesn't look like he's a guy that they've had to teach that to. He just got it. Mama Noah did a good job raising him. She did a great job. She did a really good job raising him. And that, I think at the end of the day is is also very Impossible much part dude of the not to for, for sure. Yeah, it'll be a great it'll be a great pitching matchup tomorrow. Um, Hunter Green, you know, we talked about his one and six with an ERA of six twenty one uh, against Alec Manoa, and uh, th- th- that would be my maybe my one concern with Hunter Green is I always refer to Javier Vasquez and when he broke into the majors with Felipe Alou and he, I mean, he, people knew that Javier Vasquez, I mean, there were people who thought Javier Vasquez was eventually going to go on to win uh, a Cy Young award. I mean, he was a guy that, that was really, um, he was, yeah, I mean, he had it all. And he was kind of like a baby Pedro. in in some ways there's similarities in terms of stuff. Javier Vasquez's first year, 1998. He was five and 15 within a ERA of 606. Made 32 starts, 196 hits, and his WHIP was 1.52. 10.2 hits per nine innings, 1.6 home runs per nine innings. And I always remember Felipe Alou and talking to Felipe one day about. Javier Vasquez. And I said, how come with this record, this guy, he has rough days, but this guy seems like he's, he's hanging in, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's hanging in, even though he knows, I mean, he can read the numbers and that was way before analytics. So he's got no idea that Javier, your spin rate's great. <laughs> you know, and Felipe said, I told him one day, look at your numbers. They're not good. And he said, I went through his numbers with him and said, They're not good. This is the worst in the league, the worst in the league, the worst in the league. And he said, I looked at him and said, the reason I'm telling you this is I'm starting you on Saturday and then you're going to start on Thursday and then you're going to start the next game. So Felipe said, either I'm really stupid or I think you're really, really good. And I think you are going to be really, really good. And then that's when you talked about sort of Hunter Green and the, and, and the weight in Hunter Green. Sure. You got to have a manager who knows how to. You, first, you've got to have a player who's receptive to the message. Secondly, you got to have a manager, and nowadays you got to have a pitching coach that can keep. I'm sure the it. Reds are spinning that to where it doesn't look like he's one and six with an ERA of over six. Sure, but if I'm Hunter Green and I walk up and look at my numbers, I'm one and six with an ERA of over six. I throw 103 miles an hour. Why am I not getting anybody out? Yeah. Uh, should we get to uh, Barker's back leg bits? Let's get the Barker's back leg bits here. It's time for Barker's Back Leg Bits. I don't know who he was praying to, but Barker's like, get up, get out of here. And the guy's right at the fence. Like, I got this one, you know? The umpires would throw the balls out. Like, hey, Barker's up. Bring in the six balls. We need the dead ones. Bring in the dead ones. Hey, Bark, why don't you just not worry about it? <laughs> yes. uh, this is the part of the show where you get to ask Kevin Barker all sorts of questions. You can DM me my uh Twitter handle is SN Jeff Blair. We I, we've slowly worked our way through a lot. I'm going to apologize to a lot of you because there's like there's literally like 25 we're not going to get to this week. Um, and we're we're trying to like we could literally do an entire show of this anyhow. 
Drew in Peterborough. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about long-term extensions for Bo and Vladdy. Just wondering what your thoughts are on how Bo's offensive profile will age. I'm not as worried about his defense, but he has a lot of moving parts and a violent swing. I wonder if that's sustainable from a health perspective as well as his bat-the-ball skills. Whether they regress outside of the zone, contact will drop off and there'll be too much swing and miss in his profile. What are your thoughts? This is... Drew, thank you for the uh, the questioning. And mm-hmm. Kevin, I... I and we're both in the same page here. I I don't know what what Bo's going to end up being. That's I don't mean that in a bad way. I just I, I sure. don't I don't know what he's going to end up being. Bo, Bo Bo's twenty. I had to make sure I looked it up because I couldn't remember exactly how old Bo was. But Bo's twenty four years old. He's had almost twelve hundred plate appearances. Not I, I sometimes look at the twelve hundred plate appearances and I look at Bo and I think of long term and how Bo could get better. And will Bo have to buy into it, the, the the bat speed slowing down is not going to happen in the next five or six years. He's not going to have to worry about you know the the expanding of the strike zone. And I'm not ex- exactly sure that if he did that, he would be as good a player then as he is now. Sort of who he is. Sort of how he got to the big leagues. He's a free swinger. I you know I'm I'm gonna be a little tougher to pitch to because they don't really know what I can and can't hit. How I feel that one certain day, do I feel like I don't, my lower half's not connected to my upper half? And will that challenge me on getting to a ball that's outside the strike zone? That that profiling, you know, again, it gets back to, you know, how much do you really think Bo is worth? Think Bo's a $300 million player? I don't. That's just me. $300 million players don't grow on trees. Is Bo a three hundred million dollar player? Huh? Do you do do you realistically three years from now see Bo hitting forty plus homers and driving in one hundred and fifteen runs? Because if you do, and you think that he can impact you stealing bases defensively, Mookie Betts the one guy that I think of that can change the game on all parts of baseball: stealing first, stealing second base, stealing third base, throwing a runner out from right field. At third base, throwing a runner out from right field to home plate, hitting a first pitch, first at bat homer. He can do all those things. If you think Bo is the same sort of player as Mookie Betts, then you're thinking he's a $300 million player. Me, personally, I don't think he's that player right now. And I, in the back of my mind, think he's not a $300 million player because of his plate awareness, his plate discipline. I think there's going to be quite a few... Peaks and valleys. I do, and that's probably not fair because he's a really good player, and he's going to make some money. But is it $300 million money? I will say this. The first thing that Bo has been able to do, knock on wood, the first thing Bo has been able to do that a great offensive player has to be able to do is he's been able to play every day. He's been able to stay in the lineup. On a team... And in an organization, and we've talked about this, that believes in load management, they truly believe in load management. He has been able to play every day. It's like Flatty, same thing. Sometimes I think we lose sight of that when we talk about those two guys. Uh, I think the position that Bo plays can wear you down a bit, Mm -hmm. shortstop. Let's see what it looks like next year when there's no shifting 
or when there's limitations placed on shifting. Yep. Uh, but I, I look at Bo and I still see a guy, I, I, I see a guy capable of winning a batting title, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't know when that could happen. Now remember you know, that. I, I will say this. I will I, the separator between Bo and Vladdy for me two years ago was body type. Cause I look at Bo and you'd go, you can see that body aging pretty well. Vladdy, we were worried about Vladdy's body. I think that separation has kind of been pushed aside right now because because of what Vladdy's done to get to get himself in shape. But I'll get back to this. The thing that really intrigues me about these two players is that they are in the lineup every day and if it and and that means that when that means those those Peaks are real peaks. Those peaks aren't a two-day peak. Those peaks can be two-week peaks. Remember, remember, they went out and got Matt Chapman to hide some woes defensively from Bo. Sure Let's be did. honest. That's, sure they did. That's out loud, no question to ask. That's what you got to ask yourself, too. Long-term, do you see him more of a second baseman? And if you see him moving positions, that will make the price go down. And further to your point about the, the swings that he takes, his body's used to doing that. I will say, years from now, it's the knees, the ankles that will take all the yeah. beating from the, the heavy turns that he makes, the aggressive nature of his upper half, the rotational movements that he has when he, when his front foot hits the ground. Those are little things that probably he's going to have to make adjustments with. The leg kicking to his ear, probably not going to be able to do that four or five years from now, but that's four or five years from now. And all these things are going to come into play on how much you're willing to pay him. Optimistic Jays fan very quickly before we break for the day and we'll uh, endeavor to get Santiago Espinal on another day. Uh, Kevin Biggio is hitting 412 with an OBP of 524 and an OPS of 1.112. That was going into last night, yesterday's game. Is there any reason why he hasn't been called back up? Surely he is a better option than Zimmer or Capra. Uh, first of all, I... I think you will see Kevin Biggio called up at some point. The numbers don't mean a damn thing because it's a very small sample size. He's coming back from COVID. We're dealing with how do you feel, all that stuff. Uh, is he a better option than Zimmer or Capra? Can't play center field the way Bradley Zimmer does. If he's on offensively, yeah, he's better than both of them. But if you're asking me right now who could help me win a game tonight. Bradley, to me, Bradley Zimmer's ability to play center field supersedes it. This is easy. He's got to play consistently. If you don't have a spot for him to do that, you're not calling him up. And the second thing for me is they see exactly what I see. The elevated heater gives him a serious issue. Just the driving down and leveling out your swing because of the bent upper half. Got giant issues with that. And the minor league level, they just can't go after a dude's weakness. Like he can hide that because he ain't going to consistently get it there. And until he shows them that and they have a place for him to play consistently, why would you call Kevin up? Because the guys that that, uh, that person mentioned are play- guys you don't have to play every day. Yeah. Like what, what they do, who cares what they do? Zimmer's here because he can play defense and give George Springer a day off defensively. Yeah. And what he gives you offensively, if he bun a guy, you know, bun a guy over, maybe have the bun hit, good for you. You can use Bradley Zimmer's your ghost runner if you want there as you well. Go. Like it's who cares if he ever plays. Kevin Biggio yeah. has to play for me to be successful because of what he brings and, and how his game plays, especially offensively. And I'm with you. The numbers yeah, right now, he's not, a lot. right now he's not playing second base for you. 
Uh, he ain't DHing every day. He ain't going to play third. He ain't playing right. Not he playing ain't playing first. left. I mean, he might play left if, if Lourdes can't get something straight offensively. But he's got to show them consistently. It's sort of like the Nate Pearson thing. You ain't calling Nate Pearson up just because. Nate Pearson's got to show you something. No, that, not, he's not anymore. The, he's, not the right. top, he's not a top prospect anymore. Nate, Nate's not. It's, it's, it's the, the rubber's met the road with him. And that's what that's what that's sort of what Kevin Biggio. Kevin Biggio's look the same. The words out on how you get him out. Is he a lunch pail guy? Obviously, absolutely. Is he a guy that needs to play more times than not? Absolutely. Can he play here more times than not? Not right now. Yeah. No, it's I'm with you. To me, both of those guys are on their way back here. That simple. And I don't know if the even having said that, in Kevin Biggio's case, I don't know if I think earning your way back here depends a lot on other people now. Never used to. Two years ago, we'd say when Kevin's healthy, he's good to go. Get him in there. Santi goes up for 30. You might call him up or Chapman gets hurt. Yep, maybe. That's it for Blair and Barker for this week. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend.